welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name's Daniel. I'm joined around the table with Greg Harris. Hi. <laughs> you usually just rattle off our names. Well, this is, we're changing it up because it's right. Christmas time. And All Jeff right. Buckham. Shazam! What was that? I don't know. It's like my, my, new, my new intro. Oh, yeah. Still trying to be hip with the kids. Hey, yeah, man. Shazam! It's ka-chow. Like Lightning McQueen. Dude, I'm so lit. Mm. Mm. You're lit mm. up? Yeah, lit. Isn't that, Anyways, how they, isn't that how they say it, Daniel? Yeah, that word lasted oh, about it, four that, months. That's gone now. Yeah, it's the, done. Oh, well. The trends, man. It's hard to keep you up. Know, you got some high school kids. It is hard to keep up. What's the new one? They, they're saying something. I'm, my mind is trying to ra- race about what it is, the new thing that the high school kids say. But I can't remember. Honestly, we could make one up on this Honestly, program. when they're talking in the car, I don't even pay attention. I think to myself, they're talking to each other, and I'm th- I'm thinking back to the days when I used to talk like that. What was the word? What was the word of choice back in your day? Sweet. What's it? Sweet. Sweet. Cool, cool beans. Sweet. Is that is that? Nah, cool beans. Come you on. say cool beans a I little do because bit. I think it's funny. It's a New Zealand thing. People say that in New Zealand. Mm. Cool beans. <laughs> cool beans. We get it, Jeff. You were in New Zealand. Wow. Yeah. People, people you guys say don't it here. get mad about it. Wow. What would you like me to do? Not identify where I heard that before. Whatever. You try to talk a lot, and then what are you supposed to say? <laughs> like, after a while, you're like, uh... Oh, you use cool beans at the end to end the conversation. No, you yeah. mean you're peeling to New Zealand, right? That's what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, you guys always make yeah. fun of me for that. You know, that is not I know. true. Mark this down, listeners. We're going to end this podcast with cool beans, but before we end the podcast, we got some Christmas stuff to talk about. Because mm. it, it's Advent now. And is it? Well, it is Advent. Well, is why? It? Okay, so there's been some outrage. Yeah. Because is it Advent? Is it no, not Advent, Jeff? I mean, it's not, I don't even know anymore. I don't even know when to break out the Michael Bublé CD. It's not Advent yet. It was supposed to Advent. The first week of Advent is this weekend. And the reason for that is because uh, normally Advent is for the four weeks prior to Christmas. This year, Christmas falls on a Sunday. So that Sunday is included oh. in Advent. And so you're working back from that one being one. So normally you have four weeks of Advent and then the Christmas Eve service. Right. Well, we we decided and by we, I mean, uh, mostly our worship department, God bless them. They decided what they'd like to do is they'd like to still have the five weeks of Advent instead of the four. See how that worked? Yep. So this week we they celebrated the first week of Advent and we were like one of the only churches around. And so some people wrote emails incensed yeah. at the audacity of us changing the Christian calendar, which I don't. Yes, yeah, so we were totally off base. And so a little bit of damage Man. control here at the, at Northview. Kind of try to stop, you know, we want to don't want people to start throwing stuff and being angry. You know, in my books, Christmas begins right after American Thanksgiving. So oh. I think we're right on Me right, too. right in line with that. Actually, that's been my experience is that once like, like American Thanksgiving is on the Thursday, fourth Thursday in, in uh, November and then. The next day, Black Friday is Christmas. By the did anybody die on Black Friday this year? I don't know. No, but I saw an unreal video of uh, like every year. There's always a video of some sort of Black Friday mess. Can you there's explain it? Where, can you well, explain it to here's us? Here's the scene, Greg. It's Thanks. a Walmart. Mm. The door is open. There's it's charging. This is like people in a chariot race, all racing for the finish line. Picture Ben Hur. Crowds are going wild. There's a box of toasters <laughs> in the middle, and all you hear is this. 
as this lady gets pushed over the entire box of toasters, knocks the whole thing over. Really? Oh yeah. And then uh, you you see you manage to see this mom and this daughter each have a toaster under their arm. <laughs> you see this other lady grab the toaster from the little daughter. Yeah. And the mom starts swinging and hitting this lady. Really? What are you doing? You're hitting my what? And what? The video ends. Really? Oh, That's yeah. not real. Maybe human, it is. Human depravity. Well, I don't, you know, a lot of the stores pump this sort of thing up. They want, they want to be on the video to show how, what the great deals that they got. It's odd. It's odd. It's always Walmart though. It's funny. There's usually around this time where they show the one where it says, meanwhile, up in Canada, and there's like a single file line of people while the employees clap and people walking slowly. Dude, yeah. and so I did a Thanksgiving in Indiana and I thought, here's my opportunity to do the why, Black Friday. Why did you do that? Well, I was in Chicago going to university and I went to a friend's place for Thanksgiving and he lived in Indiana. Okay. And so I'm, I'm going to this Indiana Walmart and this is going to be what's going to set Black Friday for the rest of yeah. my life. This yeah. experience is battle. I wanted a scar. Yeah. I wanted a scar. And what I got was I walked inside. There was a single file line. We walked inside the Walmart and there was another line because they closed off the electronic section. So mm. all the hot button items that people wanted were back in the photo booth. They set up separate booths with all the, like, the video games and consoles and DVDs and whatnot. And you had to wait in another line. They only let 13 people into that at a time. Did you get any cool deals? No. No. I did not. I stood in line when we first moved back here. We needed to buy some stuff. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go out and I'll buy a TV on Black Friday because it was right around that time and we were going to be immigrating to Canada. And so they were going to let us come through the border with whatever stuff, right? And so uh, I went and stood in line at a place called Circuit City. Do they, we still have Circuit Cities around here? I, don't I think know. it's called The Source here. Oh, or something yeah, The like Source. That. Oh, it was Radio Shack. But I think that Circuit City was a thing then. And I stood in line at this Circuit City in Bellingham for. Since I, I thought, oh, I'll get up really early. I'm really committed to this. And so I got up three in the morning and I thought that's going to be enough, right? Because the doors open at 530. I was like three in the morning, man. I'm going to be like third person in the line. Dude, I showed up and it was all way. I mean, it had been all the way around the building, this stupid line. And so then I was like, well, I'm already up. So I might as well go and stand in this line and stood in this line for about an hour and a half. They opened the door, everybody filed in. And by the time I got in, of course, everything that they had advertised was gone. And then I was like, well, I'm leaving. You know what? That's dumb. I'm, I have to buy a television, so I'm gonna, I have to go somewhere. So I ended up going to Sears and looking at one that was just on a normal sale mm-hmm. and leaving and thinking to myself, I am never doing this again. Greg, remember Sears? I do. Throwback. No kidding. To a month ago. To like, yeah, a month ago. So, yeah. Well, gentlemen, this is exciting um, conversation that we have going here. And, Black uh, Friday, yeah. Then the REI in the states, the Recreational Equipment Incorporated, mm-hmm. they don't even open on Black Friday. They say you should go outside. <laughs> That's their big thing. Of course, they open the day after, where people line up and they have special deals. So, hmm. Hmm. how clever of them, huh? Very clever. Got, you know, Northview. Apparently, we had a Cyber Monday we sale. We did. What did we sell? Uh, tickets to the Christmas salvation. Play. Wow. Okay, maybe five hundredth anniversary of Reformation. <laughs> What, uh, what did we sell? Uh, Douglas Island Christmas play Dude, tickets, we, 50% off. Fi- half price tickets yeah. to our Christmas play. Yeah. I'm excited about the Christmas play. Are you? No. Jeff, weren't you in I mean, Christmas I don't know. Sure. I'm weren't you sure in I'm it a couple years ago? It. Yeah, man. Who did you play? I played I played kind of myself, which was awkward. Cause, and what was, the, what was the character's name? Seth Barkman? Bookman. Seth Bookman. A local church pastor. He was a local. He was a pastor. Yeah. Wow. He was supposed to be the guy who's going to save the town. 
And then I came and I didn't save the town. Who was Ezra's character? Ezra was the local police officer. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good he, time. He had some form-fitting pants. He did. Yeah, that was a good time. We had a, we had a lot of fun doing that. But this year, it's about a South Pacific island. Nothing says Christmas like the South Pacific islands. Does it? Right? Right? Yeah. Totally. It's going to be good. That's hey, got to be the point, though. I think most of the songs are Let It Snow. Here's the thing, though. Winter I, Wonderland. And I hear that uh, Mr. Frank Sawatsky has designed one killer set. Is he the, is he the, he's the he's director. The set design. And slash set designer slash producer. I don't slash, know all his roles. I think but, he's acting in it, too. Maybe but, he's not. But Frank, man, good on him. Frank is our worship guy up at the Mission Campus. So listen, if you are listening to us and you are at our mission campus or you're interested in coming to this particular event, you should come, you should contact the church. Our Christmas plays are usually a good time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they honestly are. It's a good time to come and to bring someone, who, bring somebody who, who's, you know, not normally goes to, doesn't normally go to church. It's mm-hmm. a good time. You'll have a good time. They'll laugh a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. What? I meant to say a little bit, but I keep saying little bit. And then you... And I said it three times. And each time my brain was saying, say a little bit. Really? Yeah. And oh, I, I thought you were making I, fun of yourself, but you just couldn't do it. No. Mm. No. I just kind of got stuck on uh, on replay there. This has been our single worst start to a podcast. Oh. I think I've been bored a few times already. And I'm like, I'm a contributor to it. Okay. Last Christmas thing. Oh. What, uh, when you, now we're beginning Advent. Theologically, what is the thing that you think about when we enter the the season of Advent. Because I find every year at Christmas, I end up focusing on a different thing. Just my my thoughts and where I am mm. uh, in my Christian walk, I often focus on other things. Last year, it was like the preciousness of uh, of the of a baby mm. and how uh, vulnerable that little child was and that Christ took on that vulnerability as the most, you know, a that kid who can barely take care of himself. Also, Ricky Bobby's favorite part of Christmas story is the baby Jesus. It's yep. gold, golden fleece what do you diapers. What do you think about Jeff? This year, what, like, what has been in your thoughts bouncing around? Do you think about Christmas? Uh, the fact that Christ became, or that, that God became human, the the incarnation has made me think mm. an awful lot about how Hebrews talks about that idea that he, we, we don't have a high priest who cannot identify mm. with our weakness. Instead, we have one who has walked in our shoes. Mm. Basically, I've been thinking about that quite a bit. In fact, so when we go to Christ, we, most of us get really frustrated when we think about ourselves as the victims of injustice or accusations that are ungrounded or mm. uh, friends who turn their backs on us. And each one of those places it, you go, you can go to Jesus and you can say, do you, I mean, you don't know what it's like. And he, he would respond. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I know full well what it's like, right? He, Judas, he had um, all of his friends departed him at the cross. You know, he knows what it's like to cry out to to God and receive silence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of that means that, I mean, Christianity, the fact of the incarnation makes Christianity altogether different than all the other world religions mm-hmm. in that we have, a, we have a God who became uh, human. Um, and that's, yeah, usually religions talk about the transcendence of God, but they don't really want to emphasize a lot of his imminence, or they just talk about imminence and not transcendence. Yet Christianity has both. It's great. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, what I've been thinking about recently is I, coming out of this Romans 8 bit um, with a lot of talk about suffering and that kind of stuff, just the imagery around Christmas even of, of Jesus entering the, the light, breaking through the darkness, and how Christian some of the, or Christmas even 
just our own cultural traditions, right? You, you have the coldness outside, but you have the warmth of gathering together with friends. There, you have these two parts of the experience. You have sorrows around Christmas time, and yet we have this great story of, of joy and hope. And it's also been intriguing to think about the gap between when God had spoken to his people, Israel, uh, through the prophets before Jesus came and, and the, the silence in between the, the intertestamental period of whatever, 400 years, like longer than, than America and Canada have been countries was the amount of time that Israel waited in silence for something to take place. Mm-hmm. And then it did in the most unsuspecting, normal, and yet miraculous way. Mm. It's, it's a great, it's great. It's good stuff. So when we hear that verse... Um, that one, yeah, that one verse in the Bible. You're, you're, okay, so uh, in Genesis, after the that curse, Genesis verse, got it. You will be saved through childbearing. Oh, you mean that's actually in First Timothy two? Is that First Timothy? Yeah, but the there will be uh, childbearing would be painful. That's the Genesis. Yes, the, the pain. The, you'll have pain in childbirth. Yeah. yeah, is that so? When Paul's writing that First Timothy, is that he's, what he's referring to? You'll yep. you'll be saved through the childbearing process, which was Christ. There's a coming. big debate about that. Is that a debate? Yeah, you bet wow. it is, buddy. It's a debate on what he means by that. Don't you know? Speaking to women in that context in First Timothy two, that they'll be saved through childbearing. Yeah, we can talk about that another time. But totally. let that linger it. in your mind that the Bible says that you'll be saved through childbearing. Yeah. Well, we've been lingering in uh, speaking of lingering in Romans for the whole fall, and uh, Jeff, now that you're back. I'm back. You Welcome baby. back, Jeff. Where Thanks, you, man. Where you been? Well, let's see. Since early November, I went to uh, I went to Quebec City. Oh, to what was the hotel's the name? Conference. Hotel Frontenac. The Hotel Frontenac. Did the candle? It's a castle on a hill. It really was. The candlestick from Beauty and the Beast was there. You know, it is a beautiful hotel, Greg. Hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. It was uh, it was quite beautiful. Cold. Mm. I've decided Quebec City is cold. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then uh, we went from there to Montreal, which, uh, you like Quebec City better, don't you? Yeah. You know, if I, if I could give advice to first timers out there, if you you go to Quebec, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, you should go to Montreal first and then Quebec City. But because mm. if you go to Quebec City first and then you go to Montreal, the the Montreal old city and all that is really not that exciting. Because you've just spent the last, you know, few days walking around this very, like this little Parisy looking thing. Mm. And it's, uh, it's quite beautiful, Quebec City. But then you go to Montreal and you're like, yeah, it's nice, but are they both? I don't know. It's just sort of old buildings a little bit. Are they both on the river? Yes. Hmm. So you're at a... Same river, in fact. I, yeah, I bet. The, yeah. the thing in Montreal you're at, was it something to do with church planting? Well, Montreal we went to because uh, we we actually had to be at a conference just outside of Boston. And uh, so after the conference in, in Quebec City, we went to Montreal because neither me nor Ezra had been there before. So we traveled down there. Ezra spoke at a church there, which was great. We enjoyed that a lot. Visited, some, visited the city, saw yeah. some stuff. Really did try the poutine, mm. the poutine. Uh, the best poutine we had was in uh, was in uh, Quebec City, though, at Poutineville. 
That's the way I said it anyway. Is that how they I say was, it? I was corrected several times when I said, uh, like, poutine. Who's that? So. The poutine? Yeah. The poutine? I'll have some of that there, poutine. <laughs> so, it was good, though. I enjoyed that. And then we went down to... Uh, to Boston, which is a great city. I was born in Boston, so we drove around. Actually, uh, Boston. Little short story. I so there's this church called King's Church. If you go down to Boston, you have to walk the Freedom Trail, which is uh, kind of the it's a walking history of the American Revolutionary War, which is neat if you like history. But I was walking. We were we walked into one of the churches down right in the downtown Boston area called King's Church, and um, it was an old uh, Anglican church. So part of the the British Empire, of course, when they were there. So not like that church was not part of. If you were a, if you were a, a uh, revolutionary, you weren't a big fan of them because they were too English, right? Anyway, King's Church. You can go sit in these in these uh, in your own little pew. You basically rent your pew, uh, and there's a lock on the door and stuff. And so you could go into these pews in this thing and sit down on this velvety seat, and you could it's kind of funky. Well, one of the doors, though, that you could go into, some of them sad signs on them say, do not enter, you know, under construction, do not enter. But, but this one didn't have any sign on it. And it just so happened to be the place where the pulpit was. And there's a, if you've ever been in an Anglican church, if you're old Anglican church, they, you ascend the stairs to this pulpit that's kind of, yeah, uh, hanging in the middle of the building in some ways. And so I walked through this door, looked around, and I walked up the stairs, and I'm standing in the very spot that George Washington condemned a bunch of criminals and all sorts of stuff. And I thought, how cool is this? And Ezra's taking pictures of me, and these two German tourists are like, ooh, me next. (laughs) And this guy comes running down the, the aisle and yelling, no, 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 no. And I stopped and went, oh. And he said, you're not supposed to, you can't be up there. And he was astonished that I was up there. And he came, I came down and he goes, I, he said, where's the sign? There's no sign. Why isn't there no sign? Did you take the sign down? I said, didn't touch the sign. There's no sign. He said, oh, we're supposed to put a sign up. I'm sorry. He said, I'm sorry. It's our fault. He said, and then I was, as I was leaving later, he said to me, uh, just so you know, that's like a federal crime. <laughs> <laughs> just for you to stand up in that pulpit. He said, that's like, it's a national, national historic site. Mm. And you're not supposed to ever go into any of that. So. He said, if I were you, I wouldn't probably take pictures. Of, I mean, the pictures you had, you probably shouldn't. Yeah, or like tell the story that goes out into oh, the radio. Mass podcast that's heard across the world. They can't touch you yeah. now. I thought it was funny, though. They'll be waiting it was for totally you the my, my bad, right? My bad. Maybe I need Trump to pardon me now. Sorry. And then he'll tweet about it later how much I, how, how I should uh, really, I owe him a favor. That's only if your dad doesn't thank him enough. Yeah, <laughs> I have to make sure my father... Gives thanks to him. Anyway, it was a really good time though, Boston, right? And then we went to Chicago from Boston to Providence, Rhode Island for a for a re, uh, conference, and then to Chicago to look at some churches there. Daniel was miffed that D- you guys went to Chicago without him. We went to some places to eat some food where Daniel had recommended. Daniel Daniel would have changed his whole life plan to go to ETS, leave everything behind, just for a weekend in Chicago with Doctor yeah. J. Bucky. We Buck. had a good time. Next, sometime in the future, we'll go to Chicago. I enjoyed it, Daniel. It's a nice city. I always like Chicago. It's you one hear of that? my favorite. It's one of my favorite cities in uh, North America. Dude, I would, it's, a, it's a Christmas miracle. Dude, I would, was. I would hold him to that. The L. We were riding the L around, baby. Oh, man. I'd, I'd just start texting Jeff on Thursdays, be like, hey. What are you doing this weekend? What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> you want to go to Ooh. Chicago? <laughs> Chi-town? 
You said you you said we go to Chicago sometimes. Is it if we can work? Just try it. So anyway, thanks for asking though. That's where yeah, I went. Welcome. And now I'm back and I've enjoyed being back for a week or in a bit, week and a bit. And so. we are back in Romans. Well, we're yeah. done in Romans now. But you never got a chance. So when I I left right after I preached a sermon on Romans chapter seven. Yeah. Which I thought was awkward. To be honest, when I said awkward, not the preaching of it, but the fact that I, I always like doing these podcasts after I preach sermons on those subjects because it's an opportunity for people to say, wait a minute, that's not right or whatever. But uh, if you remember, I argued that Romans chapter seven, verses 13 to 25, a passage which has traditionally, and by traditionally, I mean just in the more recent church era, because the early church fathers took it the way I did, but the more recent church has understood it as being a description of the normal Christian life. I hate what I want to do. Want to do. I, I hate what I do because what I want to do, I don't do. It's what I hate. I actually do that kind of stuff. So I argued that it was not, that was not the case that this is, well, when I say that, not the case, that this is not a description of the normal Christian life. This is a description of the religious unbelieving life. In particular, Paul, as a Jewish man, reflecting on his, reflecting as a Christian back on his Jewish past to try to make the point that it's not the law's fault that I can't keep it. It's my fault. And sin is the problem. Mm. So I've got to have something to deal with sin. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who delivers me. So the biggest pushback to give to your interpretation is that it just... The normal Christian life feels like this ongoing battle where I I don't want to be sinning and yet I do still sin. And so for you to interpret it the way you do, the, the visceral reaction that provides the listener is, so what, what do you make then of my situation, of, of my experience that actually seems to be shared by everyone that I talked to you about this. Yeah, I say that your situation is better described by Galatians 5. Right? The flesh battles against the spirit, spirit against the flesh, so that I don't do what I want. What you want, by the way, is to follow the flesh. And that passage is giving you some level of guarantee that if you walk by the spirit, you won't fulfill that. You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you walk by the spirit, you uh, will still experience this, this inward struggle, but victory is still something that's very real and possible for you. So here's the thing, the, the fight in a Christian is between flesh and spirit, but that's not the language that's used in Romans 7 about the fight that's going on. What you've got is a fight between the law of his mind, okay, and the law in his members. That's the old language, members, means the members of my body. So here's, here's uh, the English Standard Version starting in verse 21. This is actually one of the biggest arguments. Whenever somebody have, people have asked me before, like, what is the biggest, the best argument against your, mm. you know, situation? What's the best textual argument? And I'll give it to you. Okay. So in this passage, what you have is, um, verse 24 of Romans seven, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So this could either be the cry. This could either be the cry of somebody who is not a Christian yet, which is the view I take, and that the deliverance he is crying for is actually found in Jesus at conversion, right? Because the next line you have is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, okay? Or it could be a cry of the person who is a Christian 
seeking to be released from the body, the physical, the bondage of the physical body, right? Mm. And the deliverance he's looking for is what? Like a spiritual well, removal? It, yeah, it's the parousia. It's the, it's the return of Christ or mm. death or whatever. Who's going to deliver you from the body? So that thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, that he's going to come back and he's going to redeem me ultimately. Mm. Mm. The best argument for that second view, right, is that the next verse says, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with, the, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So those who argue here say, well, it's got to be like he's looking toward his final deliverance because he comes back with this statement. So then I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, my flesh, the law of sin. And it has to be about a Christian because he says in that line, verse 25, thanks be to our God, to you God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So only a Christian would call Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm-hmm. So ultimately does verse 25, thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is that a, is that a, what they call a parenthetical, interjection or is it a statement of promise of the uh, of when Jesus returns so another, do you understand mm-hmm. I hope you understand so here this is interesting if you follow this passage here let me go back this is what I couldn't include in my sermon that I'm so excited about I hope I don't lose anybody here but this is good fun verse 20, 21 of Romans 7 so I find it to be a law or a principle that when I want to do right evil lies close at hand for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Okay, so what law is that one? You're going to have to help me here. You tell me. The law in 22? Yeah, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That would be the Torah. Yeah, the Mosaic law, the law given to Moses. Okay, so he, what he's saying is that I, I delight, I agree with the Mosaic law, the law command given to Moses in my inner being, right? So with my spirit or soul or mind, whatever it is that you want to use there. But... Verse 23, I see in my members, in the physical parts of my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind. Now, what's the law of his mind? The Torah. Yeah, it's the one that he just mentioned again, right? The one that he delights in in his in, inner being. So it's, he's it's using a, mind and inner law, being. Right? Yeah, no, it's the law of God, yeah. But there's another law waging war against it, and it's making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So what you've got here is you've got the law. Three of, laws? No, you got the law of God. He's yep. talking about two laws here. It's the law of God that I agree with my mind and the law of sin that is in my members. And every time I try to keep the law of God, it has to work itself out in the law in my members, right? So there's two laws here. So Wretched the, man that I am then, who will deliver me from this body of death? So in other words, this body that brings forth death or is leading to death. And then thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, and then he makes the... He proves that he's talking only about two laws here because so then I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. So there's the law of my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin and the law of sin is beating the law of God basically here. Right. Romans eight verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this seems to intone that the deliverance is found at the time that one finds themselves in Christ Jesus. Now listen to the reason he gives. 4, verse verse 2. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Notice how there's a new law. This is a third law. It's a new law that set you free in Christ Jesus. So when you come to faith in Jesus, you are given the indwelling spirit, and that spirit has the ability then to overpower the law of sin in your members. Now notice what he says here. For God, verse 3, has done what the law, and this is the one that he agreed with 
in his mind, right? The Mosaic law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, that's one he agreed with in his mind, might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. My point is Romans 8 really makes it explicit that this passage is taught. Romans 7 is basically talking about, uh, is talking about the unbelieving situation and the deliverance that the person who is in Romans 7 finds is through the gospel, through conversion. Mm-hmm. And now there's no condemnation for that one. And they are empowered now actually by the spirit so that the law of sin doesn't need to win. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. So I'm my, you know, my big point in all this, my, you were going to Daniel over here was going to get my friend Brian on the phone mm-hmm. and he was going to challenge me with what I just described. Yep. But my point is that this passage actually is not really that difficult to interpret. All right, if you just look at it and you read it in its context, you can actually find that it makes a ton of sense. Jeff, you said one of the the most important things when interpreting this text was verse 13, 14, and 15. The hinge verses that give hints to... 4, 5, and 6, you mean? Is it 4, 5, sorry, yeah, 4, that's 5, okay. and 6? You can just use numbers, though, however yeah. you like. Oh, yeah. So those where he gives like this hint of where he's going, where, where he's been, where he's going it, for the rest of Romans 7 and verse 5, and then... Verse 6 is a hint to Romans 8. Yeah, so, yeah, verse 6 says, but now we are released, Romans 7, verse 6, but now we are released from the law, okay, meaning the Mosaic law, having died to that which held us captive. What held us captive? Well, he's going to describe it as law of sin in his members, right? So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. That sounds very similar to what I just read in the beginning of Romans 8. should, anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, it's because he's giving a summary. And verse 5, this is one of my, one of my main arguments, it, he tells you then verse five is a summary of Rome, the rest of Romans seven for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work and our members to bear fruit for death. That language while we were living in the flesh is a, it's a statement about his spiritual condition. And he's describing a person who is not a Christian. You know, Greg, I hope that made sense. If it doesn't, I, I get it. It's just, it's me talking. If I could draw it on a board, it, it's a little bit easier to understand. But I will say this. If you go to verse 25 of Romans chapter seven, okay, it says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Okay. The language actually here is that you are a slave to the law of God with your mind and a slave to sin. Neither of those statements are true for a believer. Mm-hmm. A believer, as if you read the beginning of Romans seven, they've been freed from the law. Mm-hmm. Mosaic law and it's, and it's governing authority. And if you read in Romans six, they're, they're freed from the power of sin. So if you, people often want to say, well, this describes my, my condition. No, it doesn't. The, neither of the fights in this passage are, you're not a slave to the law of God, nor are you a slave to the law of sin, but you do experience challenges. I mean, we experience all sorts of like, um, challenges with temptation and, and, that tension that we feel in our side of ourselves. And we look, if we honestly look in the mirror, we'll look at ourselves Mm. and say, man, isn't it the case that most of the time I do this stuff I don't really want to do, right? Mm. What I do want to say though, is this passage, Romans eight in particular, does give you some level of like, um, you don't have to, right? You don't have to, like, you don't have to look at the porn. You don't have to. You can as, a, as, a, as a Christian, you can, you, can, you can walk by the Spirit and in so doing not gratify the desires of the flesh. Hmm. I think that's the, when it comes to application point with this text, that's, that's one, of the, one of the key ones, right? Because if you, 
interpret it in the in the this being the normal Christian experience, it, it goes beyond the our our experience of a battle with sin, and it actually ends up describing why you'll never win, right? Which is a hard thing to to keep in mind with where Paul also speaks in places like Ephesians and in Galatians, like be filled with the, with the spirit yep. don't, don't live these old ways, but now live this way. Right. And this is what the new way is going to look like. And, and so, you can live that way. And, and, and totally. And for us to take Romans seven as the normal Christian life almost makes it, it makes us put words in Paul's mouth about what he thinks the normal Christian looks, normal Christian life looks like that, that he rejects in other places. So it's a bit of a, we're making Paul to be a little bit inconsistent, I think. Yep. To take well, if, you, the, if you're going to counsel somebody, if you have a friend who struggled, all of us, not just a friend, we ourselves struggle with sin on various levels. The, the consistent testimony of the New Testament is that you can obey Jesus to a significant degree. Mm. And I'm saying to a significant degree because, you know what, you're, you will always be riddled with sins of omission, even if you don't commit sins of commission, right? There, there will be things you left un, undone. But that doesn't mean that you can't have significant victory over sin. This is, I mean, when we counsel people to walk, it is possible for you to walk by the spirit. And by that, I mean, like, um, have the spirit filling you so that you might uh, obey him. You, you, he, he is urging you toward following his way, but you need to change your attitude towards sin in general and recognize that it is, it is got a lot of bark, but no bite now. Like it's, and it, it's bark is its biggest weapon against you. And the fact that you, that was your former manner of life and that you have this indwelling propensity toward it. And all of that makes you, makes you think that you have to do that. Mm. And I'm not just talking about like sexual sin, like while looking at pornography, I'm saying that, that you don't, you don't need to freak out in anger. Mm. Okay. We, we do, but you don't have to. You don't, as a Christian, you don't have to, as an unbeliever, I'm actually going to argue that you are bound to sin in the sense that it govern it's a, it governs you. So you might have fleeting successes, but your, you, your defeat is imminent. Whereas a Christian, I would say, well, no, there's the defeat's not imminent. It doesn't have to be. Hmm. You can win in this fight, Right. And, and yeah, that, that language of either winning the fight or not, uh, this side of glory is, I think, a helpful one because you're also not saying that by being an unbeliever and being a slave to sin, that doesn't mean you don't do anything good ever. No, of course. But that's it's, right. it's about the, the the finality or the the measure of success we can expect over areas of sin in our life. Yeah, I would right. say unbelievers, though, do do good things for different reasons than an unbeliever do, than a believer does. Mm-hmm. A believer would do good things uh, as an as a response to the grace of God. An unbeliever does it for self-righteous reasons. I want to justify myself, right? Mm-hmm. I think Paul describes this in other places. There's the, but can they the, also do it out of common grace, though? Yeah. Out without, of just general love, like, I want to help this old lady because yeah, I have without, compassion? With, without a doubt. Okay. Without a doubt. But I, I do think that, that uh, there is a justifying mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, attitude, but I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to Paul, some of Paul's description of his own. So here's a place where he describes his former, you know, Jewish life. But then if you go to Philippians three, you get Paul talking about his former Jewish life. And he talks, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees born on the eighth day and all these great things. According to the law, I was blameless. Well, 
he's identifying that, look, I did a lot of good stuff there. It's just that I did it for reasons that were self-justifying. And I found in the end that that's rubbish because compared to knowing Christ he, in Philippians 3. So anyway, that's just me playing around. But yes, I think you're right, actually, Daniel. One of the points that should be emphasized is that lots of lots of unbelievers do lots of good things, right? Mm-hmm. Lots and lots as part of God's common grace on us is that his image has not been totally marred so that he can't, you can't see it in, in the goodness of mm-hmm. uh, even the desire you hear on the radio. Like this time of year, especially, right? During yep. Christmas, you hear totally. some people desiring some really awesome, cool things, right? Like the whole Harvey, Harvey Weinstein thing is, I mean, you, you kind of rejoice as a Christian at all of a sudden people focusing on, on how men have been horrible to mm. women mm. for centuries and it, they, oh, using their power to get what they want sexually. My gosh, I think it's fantastic that way. And so like we're speaking, it's weirdly, we're speaking the same language nowadays as the culture is on that ground. I just think we're the only ones who actually have ground to say it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't think they have ground. I think that they they live in kind of a moral moral relativistic right setting where, where we can say it is always bad yeah for someone to abuse their situation of power for the sake of exploiting other people. Right, yeah. but a moral relativist really should not be looking back 30 years and saying that it was bad that do you understand what I mean? Right. Passing right. moral judgment right. because the rules are that the community in which you live gets to determine what the morals are. Right. So that that's the way it works. And so for you to extend it beyond there is for you to appeal to some sort of standard. Yeah. Because according to Harvey's community, Weinstein's community, that's a good thing what he was doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well he there there are if that's what that would be the more if you were to follow the moral relativism to that end, right. he's doing what's right in his eyes. And it just happens that it's wrong in other people's eyes. But who's to say who's right? Well that's right. And the Christian can say who's to say God says. And but but if you're not if you don't believe in God and if you don't have that kind of absolute moral standard yeah. for you to say well this is you know all of these people acting yeah. were guilty of of sexual indiscretion well mm-hmm. I I think that as a Christian but you I'm trying to figure out what ground you have to say so what mm-hmm. philosophical ground or moral ground that you have to say so other than hey that's just what we in our current world think and we think that we're more more ro- morally evolved than everybody else on the planet until like 4 years from now when someone decides that everything that we believe now yeah. is morally reprobate and then they'll pass judgment on on us now yeah well so, and the other the other dynamic of that is you have when these stories get brought up of of these um horrific cases of, of sexual misconduct and abuse and a lot of and harassment, all kinds of awful things. It, it doesn't take long for if there's any kind of partisanship in play for one set of people to defend a person who's accused of actions and after just railing against per, a person on the other side of the fence of their particular party. So the inconsistencies there, whereas I, I would hope that as the Christian church, we, we would be unpartisan in, yeah. in our treatment of the issue that, that it doesn't matter if that's something that happened at, at in the public sphere or even in, in the church context, no. it, wherever no. it took place, it, it's wrong. It's wicked. And, and it, it ought not have happened. And it should be decried. And the, you know, I, like I do, I thank God for the me too stuff. I think it's, yeah. I think it's great in some ways. Can it be carried too far? I'm sure that somebody will make that argument and maybe somebody will. But at the same time, I'd, I'd rather, personally, I'd rather mm-hmm. live in a world where women feel emboldened yeah. to say this, this man 
put me in a very awkward position because mm-hmm. of his power and his sexual advance advances. Yeah. I'd rather live in a world where she can openly say that than in a world where she fears to say that sort of th- stuff right. because she thinks that there's going to be a reprisal. Which is why the the adding to that the 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 church to voices to this of people's experience of this in the context of local churches, mm. I think is also a really valuable voice at the table yep. because we have to recognize that too often churches and religious structures can become just another place where people are given authority that it can be abused for the sake of, of preying on others. And so, Absolutely. so well, we can be what the traditionally the Catholic church is. Oh, that's when people think of that now. That's yeah, all they think about. The Catholic priests uh, yeah. thing. Although, you know, I don't want to be too, when I say I, we should be hard on the Catholic church for that, but I don't want to just say, well, that's a Catholic issue. No, no. I just know of so many situations in yeah. Protestant churches where there have been pastors who have utilized their power, whether it's in counseling situations or, I mean, guys, there's no kind of power uh, like spiritual power, you, mm-hmm. you know, you know that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, thinking back to the, there are times in the history of the church where the, there was a Pope who lived in Germany who didn't want to give the French people, uh, communion and thereby, uh, he was basically cutting them off from salvation in the way that they believed. And so mm-hmm. the pre- the King of France had to march through the snow and bow outside in the snow, pleading for the Pope to let him and his country have, do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So here's the most, one of the most powerful people on the planet, physically mm-hmm. speaking, coming and bowing before the, the religious authority, because he knows that, you know, you know what you, you, I can mess around with people in this life, but you, oh great Pope can mess around with eternity. Yeah. So that kind of impulse and feeling is around churches a lot. Mm-hmm. That, oh, this is, this is a pastor, this is God's anointed servant or whatever. And this is why pastors need to be really, really, really careful mm. with, uh, you know, being alone in places with others, or at least the, even the way that they come off. If they want to get something done, they can pull the old, uh, well, I'm a servant of, of the Lord card. Do you know what I mean? Especially in certain settings, uh, in church settings or in cultural settings, like I'm thinking about the Southeast of the United States, where that still has quite a bit of punch. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's a very dangerous thing. Power is a very dangerous thing. We Christians haven't handled it well. No. And what's interesting is when it comes to the Protestant um, misuses of it, people will in some cases rightly say, yeah, you didn't just, it's not that you just got rid of a Pope. It's that you kind of created thousands of them. (laughs) Just now they're just, their domain is just their local church rather than the the church Catholic. So. Well, and with the the reach of the internet now too, you have. Mm. More than just your local congregation, you can have more people yep. giving to you from other countries. That's my goal. You know what I mean? Jeff, oh, yeah. go to uh, jbi.com, Jeff Buckingham International. Can you imagine having your own in, com. in international ministry? That'd be great. Dude, imagine having your own translation, Jeff. Yeah. The JBV. Oh, the JBV. Yeah. It's good stuff. That's still yeah. one of my favorite Northview moments. Not Not the whole joke about it. But that it was actually put in a slide, the Jeff Buckman version. And, and then you could buy it on yeah, Amazon. Did you, did you paraphrase it or something? No, or what was the story? No, no, it. that, no, like the actual sermon when it got mistakenly put in there. Yeah. That was one of my favorite moments because it really was a toss up about is this her, her pulling a fast one on Jeff? Or so is this, this a legitimate. Can you mind if you recount it to people? Yeah. So 
I forget what text you were preaching. Romans, probably. That yeah, was a passage that I had translated on my own. That Jeff... That I liked better than the translation that, uh, right. that, that the NIV had done. I had reasons for it. So Jeff read out this verse, and he said, look, that's just the Jeff Bucknam version, but... When you talked, <laughs> the reasons meaning mostly financial to sell your translation. Go this on, was this on, was Greg. pre pre the translation. It was the. Uh, I'm telling the story terribly. I think the following week, uh, we had made a joke about yeah. about it, and the uh, well, the admin assistant who put the slides together actually put JBV on the <laughs> on an ESV on the, sleeve, and they printed it out and right put it as a as a well, she thought initially that. Cause I'd made a joke on, in my, uh, in my notes to her that this is just the Jeff Buckton version and she right. had actually put it on a slide. Well, she thought you were serious. So she said, Oh, okay. The Jeff yeah. Buckton. That's, yeah. version that's the moment to which I'm referring. Yeah. And that was his favorite moment that the admin assistant who put the slides together didn't realize that I was joking when I said it was a Jeff Buckton version and she put it actually on the slide so that everyone thought, wow, this guy's a piece of work. Right. My he, favorite moment is that I, I still don't know the motive for why she put it up there. Yeah. She works directly next to you, Greg, and I'll Kitty Corner her. to me. We'll ask her today. And uh, sometimes she gives me the stink eye. We can bring her on the podcast next week, maybe, and have her. We'll do um, her interrogation. Her Are you saying that she's subverting everything about the ministry here? Is that what you're trying to <laughs> subvert? International that's ministry, not, Greg. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. Are you subverting the ministry, Greg? I don't. Are I'm you? Not intentionally. Are you quietly working against me yep. and my takeover plans? One, one sermon slide at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, this has been a phenomenal episode. Yeah, our best. Historic, it's been our best yet. This is one of the top five, is it not? It is. Is this right what peer there. review looks like? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like when. I had a class, they, or you know, like people endorse each other's books. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a class in college where they were trying new new forms of assessment, and that was one of the forms of assessment is that you were supposed to get like a friend, and your friend was supposed to say how good your paper was, and then of course they would switch with you. And I'll tell you what, I gave full marks for my friend yeah. in exchange for full, full marks on my paper. Oh man! There so listen, go. Greg, I just want you to know that this was excellent work today. Yeah, and and also with you, and Daniel. I mean, above average. It's good. Jeff, this was an anointed podcast. Hey, you guys, was wanna, you want to go to Chicago with me this weekend? Are you trying to beat me, yeah. Greg? You trying to trying to step on my swagger, Greg? Thanks for listening to the extra podcast. We will see you next week. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans.